and welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Michael Grothy, and I'm here with uh, Yair Villanueva. That's me. Alex and Ben are both in Germany, and so I'm taking over the cast, and I have brought uh, local Jund expert, Yair, uh, and we're just, just going to chat about Jund. Going to Jund him out. Yeah. It's my specialty. It's what I do. What's your magic background? So, just to give the viewers an idea of who uh, who we got on the show right now. All right. So I started playing Magic around Return to Ravnica, but never really got into it until like Dragon's Maze, where I was playing more casually with friends. I started playing Commander at a local shop, and from there sort of branched out into trying to play Modern. I think my first quote Modern deck was Mono Red Blitz with Monastery Swift Spears and Kiln Fiends to just get them. Uh, from there, I tried building Affinity, never really liked it. Um, was building Grixis Twin on the broke high schooler budget, which took a very long time and got banned when I was like 80% done with the deck. So, Yeah, have, that's that's the argument against bans, right? Yep, I have lived and breathed the entire banned deck out from under you. So it is what it is. Uh, I started playing Control and played that for most of my modern career until I finally slowly pieced the gen together and have been in love with the deck since. And... Yeah, that's like mainly what I play now. Awesome. Just a reminder to uh, viewers out there and listeners to uh, like and subscribe to this video if you're watching on YouTube or like or uh, subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on to the audio. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the MM cast. That's how we make the show. So I guess the big news for Jund right now is uh, that a Jund deck just top aided Austin through yes. like a big field of nasty Okos and well, Urzas and everything else. I can, I can get into that. First and foremost, we want to sort of just lay the groundwork for what Jund is as a deck for hmm. viewers and listeners. Who yeah, let's do that. Know what that. Let's is. do that. That's yeah. better. So Jund is a mid-range strategy that uses black, green, and red cards. And it tries to leverage all of their cards into disrupting your opponent and sticking a threat in order to close out the game. Uh, You're looking to, at the bare minimum, trade your resources one for one with your opponent. So casting spells like Inquisition of Kosalek and Thoughtseize, which discard cards out of your opponent's hand. Um, Lightning Bolt to just kill something. Fatal Push to just kill something. And then on the higher end, you want spells that will two for one and sometimes three for one your opponent. So Coligan's Command, which is a modal spell that blows your opponent out most of the times blood braid elf which you can cascade into pretty nasty threats lilian of the veil which can stick and make your life your opponent's life pretty miserable and because of it the deck ends up being pretty customizable i think there was a joke going around uh, the scg circuit a couple years back where the commentators were talking about how one of the gen players that made it into like top 16 or top 8 probably agonized over the one or two ofs of his deck but like that's where Jund gets its percentage points. You're trying to maximize that. And so I think Jund making the top eight through the recent Oko Menace isn't really that surprising outside of the fact that your Tarmogoyfs become three threes instead of five sixes or four fives. Uh, but you can tailor your sideboard hate pretty well. So everybody's on collector oofs and alpine moons for the big mana matchups and the artifact matchups. Um, Fulminator Majors, if you still want to do that and synergize it with your Coligan's commands. And spell bombs because you expect grave hate or graveyard decks like Dredge, and sometimes if they're overpowered enough, like Hogak was, you just jam four leylands and call it a day. Yeah, everybody was jamming four leylands back then. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, Jund has a reputation of being like the big mid range deck, where yep. like you are trying to have an okay matchup against everything. I feel like every local meta has like at least one jund guy yep that's me (laughs) and do you think do you think that kind of like the ability to constantly tweak the deck and shave a coligan's command here add a fourth blood braid elf there you know put a liliana of the last hope in the main put your tireless trackers in the side or in the main or in the whatever like is that kind of what keeps people playing jund yes definitely jund is a deck that's like always there and always wants to be fine against everything so when you're fine against everything it all comes down to just pilot error and the best way to sort of work your way around that is jam a million games against every single matchup possible uh make sure you tailor your sideboard to whoever you expect to play against so recently uh primeval titan decks have been on the huge upswing with dryad of the elision grove being printed oro being this pretty good utility spell for them that sort of ramps them and stabilizes them against aggro decks. So 
now you see Jundex playing Stone Rain in the sideboard, which is a tech that Reduke was on recently. Interesting. So why Stone Rain over some of the other options like, I don't know, Fulmator Mage or Molten Rain? Right. Or... Uh, so Stone Rain has the added benefit of hitting basic lands, which Fulminator Mage does not. Uh, Stone Rain, for those who are unaware, is two and a red for a sorcery that just destroys target land. And being able to hit their... Classic alpha card. Oh, yeah. Being able to hit their snow-covered forest or their regular forest and cutting them out of seven different land names for their Field of the Dead is a way that Jund can sort of claw its way back into winning the matchup after a Primeval Titan resolves or something. Interesting. How do you think that Jund is positioned right now? I mean, is it always just like doing what it's doing because there's been periods of time where like jund is the best deck or jund is yeah, like yeah. one of the decks that you really want to be watching out for you right. or you really want to be playing it so um where where would you put jund in the meta right now i think currently jund is a little bit below fine uh traditionally the big mana decks are a huge huge nuisance for jund because you have no real way to stop them from executing their game plan so the biggest offender other than stone rain other than stone rain exactly uh, the biggest offender of that was Tron, and still is Tron. You can discard their threats out of their hand. You can blow up their expedition maps and whatnot. But if you don't have a threat and a way to close out the game pretty quickly, they just rip whatever big top-end threat off the top of the deck. And after assembling Tron, every top deck is basically live. And I think primetime decks have a very similar strategy in that they have this inevitability that you can't really... Uh, outpace in the long run so you're trying to disrupt their initial line of play before trying to close out the game uh, that being said i think with the huge uptick in primeval titan decks jund is pretty well equipped to sort of tailor their 75 for that so you could throw in stone rains into the sideboard if your local meta is super big on big mana matchups you could main deck fulminator mages if you really need to yeah, I mean, Fulminator Mage is okay in quite a few matchups. Yeah. I've played some Fulminator Mages and been happy with it. Um, yeah, I mean, Fulminator is cool because you can also get it back with Coligan's Command or yeah, if you're exactly. playing Liliana the Last Hope or something like that. That's why I was wondering why Stone Rain. But I guess, yeah, with the rise of snow-covered lands post-Modern Horizons, uh, yeah. I guess a lot of people are just not relying on uh, non-basics as much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know when Field of Ruin got printed, it was kind of like these mid-range and control decks had a much better chance against Tron because you can keep them off of Tron using a land and like it doesn't cost you a card. Right. Um do you think that like Jund is able to make use of Field of Ruin or is that more of like a black green rock card or what's the what's I the think, difference? I think that's more of a black green rock card. So Jund is actually very tight in the way its mana base is constructed. You want to be able to have black on turn one in order to be able to cast a turn one discard spell. There's also uh, some argument to be made to have red on turn one so you can cast your lightning bolts as well. Uh, which is why Blackleaf Cliffs makes its way into the deck. Um, although, hand-in-hand hand with that, you want to be able to play a turn two Tarmogwaif if you need to. So you want to be able to have green. or you, I guess nowadays you want to be able to... Uh, you want to be able to turn two red and six and sort of pick up your fetch lands and keep your engine going. So you want access to red and green by turn two. And taking it a step farther, you need double black for your turn three Liliana of the Veils. So your mana base is already pretty squeezed on creating um, specific colors of mana. Occasionally you see Twilight Myers being played as a one-of to sort of smooth that out. Um, Raging Ravine is the man land of choice because it taps for either red or green and sort of foregoing your turn one in order to be able to play that is not as bad. Um, I have seen some Jund lists playing Ghost Quarter. I know Reed Duke himself has tried it. I've tried it. I personally don't really like it. It's sort of this cute little engine with Ren and Six, but when you have a turn three Liliana of the Veil that you like need to cast in order to win and you're stuck on black mana because you drew your Ghost Quarter, it just feels really bad. Hmm. So why Ghost Quarter over Field of Ruin? I mean, it feels like you're not willing to go down a land. I, I mean, mid-range decks, especially Jun, tend to be pretty mana hungry. Like you right. want to be casting your four drop Bloodbraid Elves, plus you have a stream of card advantage. Yeah. So like... You're, you want to be able to play Coligan's Command, get back Tarmogoyf, and play it in the same turn, or you want to be able to activate your Ravine. Like, it feels like you don't want to go down a land. Yeah, that's also... Um, that line of thinking is also why you don't really want to play Field of Ruin. You not only sort of go down a land and that you trade a land with your opponent and you guys both get something out, uh, but you go down two mana for doing so. 
So that'll prevent you from double spelling, which once Jund gets to be able to double spell, it's a lot stronger. That's around the point of the game where it starts to stabilize. So if I'm able to, for example, play a Tarmogoyf and hold up a kill spell for my opponent's turn or play um, my tireless tracker, have a fetch land in play and be able to represent the threat of creating a clue, but also revolting a fatal push in my hand or something of that sort, um, it becomes a lot more difficult to attack. So you're saying Ghost Quarter, not that good. No. Well, I personally don't like it. I know there's somebody who plays at our LGS that is all about it and thinks it's fantastic, but I think you forego a lot in order to be able to play a colorless land that may or may not help you, especially when you already have access to stuff like Assassin's Trophy that can hit lands anyways. So. Oh, that's true. I remember because it was Field of Ruin and then like a few sets later they printed Assassin's Trophy yeah. and everybody's like, oh, Jund is never going to have problems with Tron again. And it wasn't really true, I guess. But I think that's the case <laughs> every time a new Tron killer in quotes gets printed. That was Alpine Moon. That was Blood Sun when that was spoiled. Oh, yeah. Blood Sun. Oh, Damping Sphere also. Damping Sphere actually does kind of help, um, especially pre-Mox Opal Ban with all of the crazy paradoxical outcome decks running around. Granted, they have four main deck engine explosives, but being able to sort of slow them down for a turn so you can stabilize and disrupt their game plan was a pretty good way to go. Well, yeah, now there's, um, in more so in Pioneer, but there's the uh, the like Lotus Field Underworld Breach deck, and Damping right. Sphere yeah, kind of yeah. hoses them on two Definitely, different axes. Yes. They can't like go off and cast all their spells, and they also their hoses their Lotus Fields. Yeah. Jund is like a pretty expensive deck, yes. uh, and... It, a lot of times it'll take people a while to get all the pieces because a lot of the pieces are just like great cards that are staples in modern anyway. You got yep. thought seizes and fetches and tarmogoyfs and yeah. lilies. And um, what advice would you have to any of the listeners who might be putting Jun together or, uh, you know, thinking about taking that leap towards Jun? Right. Yeah. So I had uh, briefly joked before this to not build it. <laughs> Um, it's only half joking, honestly, uh, playing Jund requires a lot of time and effort in order to learn the matchups inside out. Um, when you're casting your turn one discard spells, you kind of need to know what is the most threatening thing in your opponent's hand. And a lot of the time that isn't super obvious, like in the case of casting a discard spell against your opponent who's also on Jund, you want to like get rid of their discard spell so they don't hit something out of your hand, but there's also... I don't know, like a Dark Confidant that you can't really kill, a Liliana that you know is just going to tear your hand apart and kill you off your threats. So it's all very contextual. Um, in the same vein, you just want to put in a lot of practice into Jund. If you haven't yet bought anything, proxying is probably your best bet. Just proxying and jamming games with some friends, making sure it's a deck that you actually enjoy playing and want to put in the time to learn. Um, and then from there, just snagging good deals, honestly. Like... Being on the prowl for people who are trying to sell Tarmogoyfs or Liliana's at slightly cheaper than I mean, normal Tarmogoyfs rates. are pretty low right now. That's true. That they're they are. not not as much of a big player in modern right now. Yeah, yeah. Fatal Push definitely quelled it as well as Oko. Why would I pay two mana for a 5-6 when I get a two mana 3-3? Three, three? Yeah, I mean, that could be say, said of any creature. At least Tarmogoyfs yeah, yeah. pretty inexpensive. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then taking it a step farther, you definitely just want to pick up lands first because if on the offhand, you decide halfway through building Jund that you don't really like the deck or you don't think you're going to do well with it, you then ended up only spending your money on lands, which can pretty feasibly go in anywhere else. Or if you play other formats like Legacy, Vintage maybe, although if you're playing Vintage, you probably don't have trouble building Jund. Uh, and Commander, your fetch lands and shocks and whatnot could pretty easily just slot into any other deck. Yeah, Jund seems like a deck where you want to give yourself a lot of decisions but anytime you're giving yourself a lot of decisions there's a lot of like wrong choices you can make right so i I get i I guess i see what you're saying about how it's difficult to play and it kind of takes a lot of practice um do you want to say more about that or give us some tips and tricks for playing jund yeah um there's actually a lot of them and well a good handful of them don't really come up now it's all Again, contextual based on what's at your local meta and who's on what deck and what your exact 75 is. Um, Although there are some pretty notable things that you can point out um, for a very long time. And I guess now it's going to be a little more relevant with Heliod combo being a deck that people are trying. 
uh, persist as an ability on cards like Kitchen Finks. Uh, they do hit the graveyard for a brief moment, and you want to be able to activate your scavenging ooze when they're in the yard so they don't come back and get um, increasing value out of it. So there is a bunch of small interactions like that that can definitely swing the game in your favor. Um, for a very long time, Surgical Extraction was a mainstay in your sideboard, usually is a two of, one or two of. Um, and just getting into the habit of surgicaling your opponent after they draw, that way you have a chance of blanking their draw step. Um, that's also a lot more relevant in something like the Tron matchup, because occasionally you'll be able to kill off one of their lands, and you want to be able to cut them out of Tron for the foreseeable future, that way they're stuck playing the fair game with you. So being able to surgical them at the end of their draw, and they just happen to draw that same exact land. Oh, yeah, kind of like, I mean, kind of like if you have instant speed discard, like a Vendillion click or something, you want to hit them on their draw step. And yeah, I guess the fact that surgical extraction can sometimes just thought seize your opponent means you want them to have as many cards as possible. I guess that's just like a general surgical extraction trick. Yeah, exactly. That people should be doing if they're playing surgical extraction. Yeah, a lot of the small tips and tricks can sort of apply to other decks and they're very card dependent. Um, but I think Jund is probably the deck that can capitalize on it the most since they're looking to maximize each card's potential at every turn of the game. So another example would be um, being aware that the revolt keyword on Fatal Push reads a permanent leaves your field. So if you're against like a mono white taxes or an Eldrazi taxes upon it and they flicker whisper Tarmogoyf, you can then cast your Fatal Push and Fatal Push their flicker whisper. Their other three or four drop that might be causing you some trouble. What can a player do if, so, you know, I don't want to play Jund, but I want to beat Jund. Okay. Is there anything? Playtron. Playtron. Just, play so just the big mana decks, yeah. that's the way to beat Jund. Big, if you, if there's a Jund player nightmare. just like beating up your local meta, just play a big mana deck? Yep. And that big mana decks are notoriously <laughs> difficult for Jund to navigate because they have that sort of inevitability engine that i talked about earlier um you'll see if you look at deck lists now from like recent magic online 5.0 dumps that a lot of jund sideboards are playing two alpine moons in order to be able to get around that um and so just bringing any sort of big mana deck makes it very difficult for your jund opponent because it sort of forces them to think about the game very differently um any super low to the ground aggro deck also makes life very difficult for the jund player Burn is a very swingy matchup and has actually produced one of the more entertaining games, at least for me, um, because you have to know when to kill your opponent's Goblin Guides and Monastery Swift Spears, when to Thought Seize, when to hold your discard spells back, whether you should play out a Tarmogoy for your Dark Confidence or whatever, and or decide to hold up Interaction. Um, and a lot of it sort of just comes down to your opening seven and probably the top three, four cards of your deck. Usually if there's a Collective Brutality or two in there, you can stabilize pretty quickly. Uh, without it, life is a lot harder. And then I realized backtracking now, tips and tricks for Alpine Moon. Mm-hmm. That card is super sweet. I do highly recommend any Jun pilot slot some into their sideboard if they're having trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Alpine Moon in particular is a card that because of the rise of uh, Primeval Titan decks uh, yes. with Dryad of the Legion Grove and also it being like the best deck that didn't get banned. Right. Um, yeah, Alpine Moon tips and tricks, I think, are going to be welcome for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, the big one against Tron, and I keep dragging this back to Tron because uh, RLGS has had like a 75% Tron meta for a very long time. And I'm wow, that's fool. a lot of Tron. I'm the fool who thinks, oh, that's a fine gen meta, and I'll just sleeve up gen and be on my way. Um, Alpine Moon, as I learned through repeated error, when you're against Tron, you want to usually name Urza's Tower if they haven't played it yet because okay. it cuts them off of being able to, quote, top deck three mana. Sure. In, in the sense that they'll spend their mana in order to kill your Alpine Moon, and then they play their Urza's Tower and have access to three more, as opposed to two or one if they weren't able to get rid of your Alpine Moon. Um, if their Urza's Tower is already in play, you want to name an Urza land that you haven't seen yet. That way you don't immediately give them the green mana to cast a Nature's Claim and kill off your Alpine Moon. So it sort of staves them off for a turn or two in order to be able to get rid of it and get their engine back online, which in that turn or two, you might be able to swing the game pretty heavily in your favor through like collector oofs or another threat. So I guess blue-white control is also known as kind of a Jund killer. Yes. Oh, well. Is that, would, would you say that that's still true or has Jund evolved or has blue-white evolved in a direction that makes it more favorable for Jund? Um, for a brief time, I think they were pretty on par with each other. 
it all just came down to pilot error a lot of the times in terms of they're both how very the skill intensive decks. Um, those have also produced some of my favorite matches ever played on Jund, just because of how swingy and crazy the games can get. Uh, post Modern Horizons, I think the matchup was skewed a little bit in Jund's favor, just because you got access to Renin Six, which then gave you a sort of inevitability engine for playing the long game. You could stabilize on your mana, be able to activate your Rage and Ravines till the end of time because you've used your Renin Six to pick up your lands and grab every land out of your deck. Um, by grabbing all of your lands, you then are only mostly drawing your good cards. Um, and then you'd get to ult your Renin Six, which meant you could recast all of your Coligan's commands, which are backbreaking for the control decks. You could recast your Lightning Bolts to give yourself some reach and kill off their Planeswalkers. Uh, however, now I think the matchup might be a bit more even again. I actually haven't gotten to play the matchup post Stoneforge Mystic Unban. Because lo- okay. locally, if I'm not on Jund, I tend to be the person playing Stoneforge Mystic. Sure. So I have not been on what the kind Jund of, side of that. What kind of uh, Stoneforge Mystic deck are you playing, out of curiosity? Uh, currently, I'm on Bant Blade, even Ooh. post Oko. Um, shout out to McWin Sauce on Magic Online. He's usually like trophying with Stoneblade decks. I highly recommend you check out his lists if that's a deck you're interested in. Uh, recently, he's been splashing green just for Ice Fang Coattles and an Uro in order to sort of stabilize you against the aggressive decks, which I think Ice is Ice Fang definitely holds the sword pretty well. That it does, yeah. Um, also, to my surprise, he's playing the new Theros Beyond Death Elspeth, just because it can create two bodies that can also just hold swords, which is sort of like the ground floor of what your threats do in that deck. But I think post Stoneforge Mystic, the matchup might be a little bit back to even. Coligan's Command is notoriously strong against any sort of artifact and the two toughness stone forge mystic because then you could just kill it and shatter their artifact that they put into play or my personal favorite has been respond to the activation and make them discard a card and kill their other x2 because they'll only have one card in hand and it'll be the equipment they just tutored up um but i think you definitely need a lot of practice to get into any of those matchups Jund is just a very um, practice-intensive deck, you oh, would yeah. say? definitely. I still definitely make a ton of errors uh, when I play Jund. A lot of it has been just because the metagame has shifted and some of the heuristics that I said earlier, for example, about like naming the Tron land you haven't seen um, with Alpine Moon may not still stand against Primeval Titan. I have not gotten to play that matchup um, post-Okoban. So. Well, I guess they don't... I mean, they don't have like... Tron, they just have like a couple of lands that are really important. Field the Dead or Valakut, yeah. and the fact that like sometimes they're going to want to go for one, and sometimes they're yeah, going to exactly. go for the other. And yeah, I could see that getting getting pretty complicated. I, I guess Dryad of the Elysian Grove is probably not a huge problem for the deck because you can kill it pretty easily. Yeah, you can. Four toughness is a pain. Yeah, um, that's another thing that Renin Six definitely helped with once it was slotted into the modern Gen deck. Helps you kill X4s with your lightning bolts. That's true, yeah. Red and six can it, do yeah. some some backup. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean I guess I guess feel the dead kind of is the bigger threat, I would guess, yes. for you, because you can get rid of Dryad. And a lot of the Titan decks right now are just playing Zero Mountain. They're yeah. just playing Valakuts for, for, for the with Dryad. Dryad. Yeah, exactly. Um I think I would probably start off by naming Field of the Dead in that matchup before doing anything else. Um, feel if that is extremely difficult for Jen to deal with when you're one for wanting all of your removal spells and on their turn they make yeah. four two twos. I mean, we've talked about it as like a card that I think should be on like a modern watch list for getting banned because it takes decks that are looking to play a slower game like Jund or like Control or even um, you know, any deck that's looking to trade one for one with the opponent, like Feel the Dead just goes way over the top of everything. Yeah, um, I can and that's one of the reasons that. that it got banned in Pioneer and in Standard is because it was like reducing diversity a lot. And the reason that like Feel the Dead went instead of Golos, for example, yeah. because Golos wasn't really the problem in Standard. It was the fact that like you could never go long against a Feel the Dead deck. Yeah, without playing Feel the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I do think that being said, modern. And the card pool in Modern has a lot of an easier time dealing with Field of the Dead between the room to be able to activate your Field of Ruins and your Ghost Quarters that you may or may not be playing 
your assassin's trophies can hit it alpine moon yeah blood moon even yeah that is true i did recently see a jund list i think like top 32 one of the online challenges that was skewing its build to be able to play three blood moons in the main wow with the mana problems that you were talking about about you know yeah. turn one thought sees turn two red and six turn three liliana it's rough <laughs> uh pre blood braid elf unbanned there was a time where i was playing two blood moons and two goblin rival masters in the side just to be able to get under all of the big mana decks because you didn't really have a way to do that. Rabble Master does seem well positioned. I mean, it's good against yeah. a lot of the, the big mana decks, right? Yeah, that it does. Um, that being said, I don't think I would recommend that build 99% of the time. It can definitely it's be pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes Thought Seize into Rabble Master can just win a game, right? Oh, yeah, like you take their one removal spell, here's Rabble Master. Yeah. And then, I mean, Rabble Master is just a card that's known for single handedly winning games. Yeah, I mean, it can. Yeah. So Theros Beyond Death just came out, and we have been kind of talking about its impa- impact on modern. Mm-hmm. Dryad of the Legion Grove obviously has come up a bunch in this conversation because oh, yeah. it's like such a huge meta player. But has Jund gotten any new tools from Theros Beyond Death? Is there anything uh, in Theros making an impact there? Potentially. I am pretty excited to try out Kroxa. Maybe it's like a one or a two of Kroxa, Kroxa. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. The Titan, right? The red-black Titan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think at face value, a two-mana discard spell that also bolts them is pretty strong. So it's red and a black when it enters battlefield, sacrifice it. 6-6. Yeah, sacrifice it if it has not escaped. If it's not escaped. And then uh, when it enters battlefield or attacks, target player discards a card. If they discarded a non-land card, they lose three life. Or if they didn't discard a non-land card, they lose three life? Uh, each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life, yeah. Got it. And so, then it has escape, five... Four. So escape is red, red, black, black. Right, right, Escape, red, red, black, black, but it's exile five other cards. Oh, right? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think at face value, discard spell that can potentially lightning bolt them is pretty good. Um, I do think the downside to the front half is that you don't get to choose what they discard, so... They'll just discard the worst card in their hand, which does kind of suck on occasion. Although, if you couple that with another discard spell or a Liliana of the Veil uptick, it makes your scenario a lot better, especially on turn three. So if you curve discard into Tarmogoyf, into uh, the front half of Kroxa, and then another discard spell, it's probably pretty difficult for your opponent to sort of bounce back, especially in the face of a Tarmogoyf that might be like a 4-5 or five at that point. Uh, the back half, I do think, is a lot more tricky. You kind of want card types in your yard in order to be able to grow your Tarmogoyf and make it a hefty boy and having to exile five other cards can sometimes be a bit of a problem you kind of have to keep in mind what card types your opponents have in the grave what card types you have in the grave if there's any overlap anything that only you have that way you're not accidentally shrinking your Tarmogoyf and I guess now that we're in this line of conversation it is worth noting that um, the damage that is dealt to your Tarmogoyf will stick around and always be there until the end of turn so if you shrink your tarmogoyf on the turn that it took three or four damage and you put it in lethal range you will accidentally kill your tarmogoyf so it's something to definitely be uh, be watching out for yeah that's true if i mean there's there's definitely been tarmogoyf and tassiger oh yeah Grimag angler builds before and i'm sure many people have been burned by that yeah i was recently playing a rug delver list with four tarmogoyfs and four hooting mandrels and i had to be very careful about the way i delved so yeah uh i mean that's true is this this is basically a delve card Uh, it is interesting that it does kind of grow your tarmogoyf though like in a matchup where your opponent isn't going to have a creature in the first few turns this puts a creature in your graveyard which is interesting like if you go you know thought seize into tarmogoyf into this then it like puts creature in graveyard which like might not be easy to do depending on the matchup yeah definitely um also occasionally you'll just hit some pretty hard to create card types out of your opponent's hand so artifact has been a notorious difficult card type to have hit the yard although now with urza it's a little more prevalent and grow your tarmogoyf by a lot uh planeswalker is another one if your opponent's sort of on the back foot and doesn't think they'll be able to cast their jace the mind sculptor teferi hero of dominaria having them discard it does give you a pretty difficult card type to achieve and if there are any black-white tokens players in your area, maybe they discard their Bitter Blossom and give you both tribal and enchantment. That's true, yeah. I, I, I was playing, um, when I used to play Eternal Command, spell snaring uh, Bitter Blossom always felt great because it made oh, yeah. my Tarmogoyf freaking huge. Yeah. Um, because you can get his 8-9, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 
I, I think have, I had I an eight nine some, at least once. I have played some eight nine Tarmogoyfs. And it's typically because of Better Blossom. Oh, Although yeah. there are, I mean, Tarmogoyf lists that sometimes play Tarfire. That so was the Rugged Elver list I was playing recently. Build your own, <laughs> build your own uh, Bitter Blossom, I guess. Yeah. Um. Any other Theros cards? Crocs is the big one. I think Crocs is definitely the big one. Um. Not not a Theros card. However, I do want to test a little bit more with Season Pyromancer. That's a card that's like sort of bounced in and out of the um, sixty card main deck for Jund. At face value, it sort of powers through your deck and helps you get to the one ofs that might be really good in the matchup you're in and can sort of resculpt your hand to throw away the one ofs or two ofs that are terrible in the matchup you're in. So if you're against uh, Burn and you're looking at a hand of Thought Ceases, being able to create two bodies and or I guess three total bodies and throw away. The four damage to yourself is pretty good. Although on occasion it can be not as great if your hand is in a decent state for the matchup that you're in or the state that you're in and you need to cast something that can block slash attack, having to cast your season pyromancer and discard some of those cards is pretty hurtful. So I mean, yeah, season pyromancer it does a lot. It also like stocks your graveyard if yes. you're playing Croxo or a Delve creature or something, or it can put some coveted type you can discard a liliana to it or something yeah, if you have yeah, a second one to get the planeswalker in your in your graveyard yeah i uh i was really impressed with season pyromancer in uh vintage cube actually i was playing I can see a that. ton of vintage cube uh when it was legal and yeah like season pyromancer doesn't seem like it stands up to the format but it it just like did a lot of small things. I mean, in yeah, that yeah. environment, it was like sometimes discarding my reanimator target, but fueling your graveyard is relevant because yeah. you have all the delve cards, but you don't just get to jam a ton of fetches. And yeah, so yeah. Um, it did a lot of like hand sculpting and stocking the graveyard and like creating chump blockers, both on the front half and the back half. Like when it dies, you can just yeah. instant speed make more that is true. To, to stay alive an extra turn to, you know, do your thing. Or chump block for your Liliana, I guess, in a modern context. Yeah. Chump blocking for Liliana is huge. Yeah. Um, I guess I should also now backtrack once again to Liliana mm-hmm. and some yeah. Liliana tips and tricks. I like Liliana tips and tricks. Yes. Uh, I think the big one is to be very conscious of the cards you've seen your opponent in previous discard spells before you play a Liliana. Uh, and being conscious of them moving forward. I just mentioned that i played rug delver recently um and there was i think it was playing in the finals against jund and my opponent was hellbent had a liliana with one counter uh, draws for turn after i pass and they play the card that they drew which was a land in order to uptick and have zero liliana downside in quotes um unbeknownst to them i had a brazen borrower in my hand and was able to just bounce the liliana and force them to discard it which felt pretty good and felt miserable felt pretty good for me and very miserable for him uh, and that's something that you definitely want to be aware of, especially since Brazen Borrower, I think, is a pretty notable player in both modern and legacy at this time. Yeah, it's interesting. I think like having a main deck bounce spell, main deckable bounce spell in these formats has changed kind of how you have to think about certain effects like Liliana. Yeah, definitely. Which is interesting. Um, and, and like you were saying, um, like Coligan's Command, yeah. even where you can, you know, I guess you would never be making yourself discard, but like being able to bounce something and then Coligan's commanding it or. Yeah, definitely. Coligan's command was another one that uh, players against Jund had to be very conscious of, especially if they had like a card that they knew they wanted to cast in that matchup. So in the control matchup, you'd have your cryptic commands that you want to protect. And if you were at two cards in hand, you kind of always wanted to keep it that way. If one of them was cryptic command, that way they couldn't just randomly Coligan's command you at the end of your draw step or beginning of your draw step and force you to discard that one card that could potentially swing the game back in your favor so it's definitely something to watch out for i think on both sides of the matchup yeah i'm a big fan of the card i've been playing it a lot in standard uh i've been trying to seek out decks where i can play blades and borrow actually it was the first eldrian card i crafted on arena um, okay so yeah. my my sweet yeah i i played uh, a couple of different builds of teamer adventures and i was playing the blue red um the blue red flash deck for a while okay but yeah, I think it's great that it's starting to, you know, get its due in modern, among other formats. 
Yes, I do think the cool thing in Legacy is you can bounce your opponent's Merit Lage, which just made Delver matchups very entertaining. That's true. So so Brazen Bar we're seeing play even in Legacy. Oh yeah, it's seeing a lot of play in Legacy. Being able That's to cool. bounce Chalices, being able to bounce Merit Lages is pretty big. Oh yeah, I guess it's two mana, so yeah. you can typically bounce Chalice, since yeah. Chalice is pretty much always on one. That makes sense, yeah, because I know that Merit Lage was like a problem for those decks, and people were like... Playing some pretty embarrassing cards. To get playing some it. pretty embarrassing cards <laughs> to get around it. Yeah, vapor I mean, snag like snag in the rugged over sideboard. Was yeah, like, vapor snag. Oof. I mean, yeah. at least submerge is a little more defensible, even yes, if you can definitely. play around it a little bit. So what? What else is new? Uh, what else is new with Jun? I mean, obviously, Ren and Six is a big player. You were talking about yes. season pyromancer. Is there any Eldraine stuff that's made its way into Jun? Made a big impact. I mean, I always see Jund around, and it always kind of looks the same to me. But I yeah. know that like an, a more experienced Jun player is going to look at these lists and see. Oh, that's a two of. Oh, that's a one. Yeah, <laughs> see like the slight differences. But yeah. to me, it's like ah yes, I recognize all these cards. This is a Jun deck. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I think that's how it is for a lot of people because the deck's been around like literally since the beginning of modern. I mean, it's yeah, basically yeah. like a a standard deck that just yep. kept going in every format uh, and just is still around. And yeah, it, it, it's gotten some new cards that have become staples, and that's easy for me to recognize. But a lot of the subtle differences um, in Jun lists when I see them around on Magic Online dumps or on GP Top 8s or whatever, um, it's not... I feel like there's a lot of subtleties that I'm missing about the deck because it is such a subtle deck. Right. Uh, not actually an Eldraine card, but just the card quantities are always um, an interesting to look at thing to look at, especially if you've been playing Jun for a while, because you get to sort of guesstimate what they were teching their card choices against. So Abrupt Decay, for example, is something that has seen a huge downtick in play. Um, the control matchup, you kind of don't really have room to play your Abrupt Decays. Now it's a one of, maybe, seeing it as a quantity anything higher than that, you know they're so pretty, that's interesting. I, I would guess that like with Oko being such a big player recently um, and and towards the end of Oko's life, there were just like Oko backed up with counter spells was yep. kind of like the deck, yep. uh, the, the like the Urza decks it, was like abrupt decay good then or was it not doing enough there? It was fine. It's just that Assassin's Trophy kind of did what you wanted to do and had the added benefit of hitting most of your other problem matchups as well. Being able to hit your opponent's Teferi Hero Dominator, yeah, your opponent's Urza's Tower, or Primeval back Titan. to Urza's Tower. It's, yeah, it's just something that you always sort of have to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah. I have played more than my share of the Tron matchup, and yeah, I know that matchup like the back of my hand. Yeah, I mean, every every I would say that every local meta probably has a Jun person, and it's got at least one Tron person as well. At least. Who's, who's always like three, playing maybe. Tron. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I did play <coughs> Jund at GPLA this past year. Uh, Dredge was the deck to beat at the time, so I had. Was it the Hogak? I think it was right before Hogak. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because it was in like April, so I, it was right before Modern okay. Horizons release, I think. Uh, wow, I forgot. I had forgotten that Dredge was the deck to beat before Hogak. Oh yeah, <laughs> and then Hogak a, made it a nightmare. What a world. Um, yeah, I was the Madman taking Jund into a full Dredge meta, which. Pro tip, never do. <laughs> it's rough. I was on one Nihil Spellbomb in the main, which is, or was, the graveyard hate of choice for Jund, um, just because you can cycle it for another card after you Spellbomb someone's yard. Yeah, it makes sense as a main deck inclusion because it always cycles. And yeah. there are certainly matchups where you want to get rid of their graveyard, but it's not worth a card to you, like yes. Snapcaster matchups or yeah, even definitely. like the Mirror or, you know, where they have Delve spells. Being yeah. able to just like get rid of someone's graveyard without spending a card seems really valuable, especially in like a very resource intensive, well, not a deck where re every resource matters a lot. Yes, definitely. That's actually another thing. There was uh, when Grixis Shadow is the deck to beat, there was a weird little dance you'd have to do about knowing when to spellbomb them if they had the turn two Grimag Angler or turn two, ta turn two Tassiger, maybe you needed to sort of. Be on the watch out for that. And, right, because once they cast the spell, it's too late. Yeah, so you have to make sure them. you get them before they get a chance to cast their spell. Exactly. Um, I was also on the one of Kalidus in the main at GPLA. That seems good against yeah, Dredge. Pretty good against Dredge. Humans and Spirits were another pretty uh, were the other pretty prominent decks, so being able to turn your fatal pushes into zombies was also very, very good. Yeah, and and I've I mean I've lightning bolted in a prize amalgam before and it uh feels really bad. It does feel awful. Except, you know, if you have a Cletus, then you get a two two yeah, exactly. there, you get rid of their amalgam forever. That feels I like that. Yeah. 
Um, I got to run into the Tron matchup, I think twice over the course of day one. I like missed day two by the skin of my teeth. Uh, played into Tron and felt very comfortable playing that matchup. My opponent uh, gave me one of those looks when he saw what deck I was on after he played his turn one. Tron land into map, and I was like, all right, I've unfortunately trained for this. <laughs> so I got to uh, sort of use that knowledge to my advantage. Um, I think post-Modern Horizons, Collector Oof is a very good card in the matchup. It's a beating, especially if they're on the draw because your turn one discard spell may or may not leave them with an expedition map or an egg, um, egg being chromatic star, chromatic sphere, and then being able to follow that up with their turn two Collector Oof that sort of blanks their turn one plays. And it puts pressure on them, which Definitely. I think is, that's that's the key to like beating these big mana decks, especially Tron is... Yeah, disrupt in a clock. Right, because if you just disrupt them eventually, you know, and you like surgical their land and you like spend all these spells yeah. like, you know, ripping up their hand and Liliana d- plussing them and whatever. And they're just yep. like, here's my sixth land, Worm Coil Engine. And yeah. you're like, ah. Let's feel bad. <laughs> Ancient Grudge is another very good card for that matchup. Um, being able to Ancient Grudge them again when you're on the play and just take out, take them off of map sort of disrupts a lot of their hands. Uh, Maelstrom Pulse is relevant because the Worm Coil Engine leaves behind two worm tokens. That are named oh, wow, they have the same worm. That's yeah. pretty same name. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Same. Not to mention, you know, Karn and Ugin yes. and some of the big non-creatures are cards that yeah, yeah, yeah. So can Maelstrom. be tough to deal with without a Maelstrom Pulse or an Assassin's Trophy. Yep. We talk a lot on the show about how having experience with a deck that you know is really important. And actually, I think that's one of the big draws of Jund is you you were kind of saying, oh, if you're thinking about building Jund, don't do it because it's a lot of work. But I think that that work can be put in over the course of years. And Jund is always going to be a deck that you can play. Yes, I I agree. I don't think it's ever embarrassing to take Jund to a tournament, even in like a big Dredge meta or a big Tron meta or a big Oko meta, for example, where like Tron Jund is a dog, it can still put up results. And we we always talk about like there's there's these decks that are pillars of the format that even when they're not on top of the metagame, if you know the ins and outs of your deck, like it can be a deck you can always play. And, And I think Jund in particular rewards that. Yeah, Burn is another one of these decks where like yes. you can always play Burn and it's typically not like totally embarrassing. I mean, like yeah. the only time is I would say when like, you know, Birthing Pod or Malira combo decks are the best deck. Maybe don't don't do that. Don't but, sleep up your burn deck, yeah. But in general, like it's a deck that you can always just expect to randomly top eight something right. or um I also think that's a pretty good heuristic to go by when you're customizing your Jund to 75, sort of tie this all back to Jund. Uh, You have these pillars of the formats, and if you're going to an unknown meta, so if you're going to play at a local Magic Fest, or you're going to play at a new LGS, you sort of need to respect the fact that these decks exist and bring collective brutalities in your sideboard, collector oofs, your ancient grudges, your fulminator mages, just have them ready, because you might... Yeah, I know that you have like a huge box of sideboard cards uh, uh, <laughs> that you swap in and out based on what you're expecting yeah, to see. It was actually, it used to be a box and now it is upgraded to a full playset binder um, just because I had so many cards in my Jund box. They're now BGX box because I've got Lingering Souls in there. I've got other nonsense. Um, and yeah, I mean, if I ever see a list that I want to try out that's playing like a spicy one or two of, I've got the spicy one or two of most likely. I know for a while when Spirits was the deck to beat, there were a couple gen lists going around with a one of Corsair of Crufix and a one of Ishkana Graph Widow in order to make a bunch of one, two reach boys to be able to block all of the flying spirits. And so I've got those primed in foil and ready to go. Never know when you're going to need your Ishkana Graph, Wid- Graph Widow. Exactly. Um, I guess Plague Engineer is another big Jund addition yes, recently too, right? Definitely. Uh, Plague Engineer is insane against the tribal decks so against goblins against yeah, obviously. humans against spirits yeah it's just a it says kind of says destroy target tribal that deck it on it <laughs> we have a local merfolk player and every time i shuffle up against him post board and play my turn three plague engineer he dies a little bit on the inside yeah at least merfolk is like a pump based deck elves is the deck that really yes, suffers from plague elves engineer definitely. because they don't have that many pumps in the deck it just kills all their creatures yeah. like merfolk at least it's like oh well now my merfolks are only getting plus two plus two each dang yeah i mean i think the key in specifically the merfolk matchup getting a plague engineer down before they can get a lord because it makes their life a lot harder 
That makes sense. And you can, I feel like Merfolk, Jund is probably a pretty bad matchup for Merfolk oh, yeah, in general. It's a and and tribal decks in general, because yes. they're looking to kind of leverage a critical mass of creatures mm-hmm. to like get lords into play or get enough elves into play that you can go off with your heritage druid or whatever. And Jund is just playing a big pile of removal. Yeah, Storm is a similar, in uh, faces a similar problem against Jund. They want to have a critical mass of cards in their hand so they can go off and storm out. And they need their cost reducers through Goblin Electromancer and Baral in order to make that happen. And you can just Coligan's command their Electromancer and four for one them virtually because they're now down a combo piece. They're down their accelerant. They're down a card on top of that. And it, yeah, it's a nightmare scenario for them. Um, but backtracking back to Plague Engineer, so mm-hmm, I got mm-hmm. sidetracked there. Yeah, no, I think that it's a cool card and I would like to hear the tips and tricks. Oh, yeah. Other uh, than play it against tribal decks. <laughs> play it against tribal decks is definitely the big one. Uh, keep an eye on your opponent's card types is the other big one. Uh, Vendillion Click has seen a huge um, downswing in play post Brazen Borrower because Brazen Borrower, I think, at face value is less niche than uh, Vendillion Click. But if you're against a control player who has Click in their deck, note that both Vendillion Click and Snapcaster Mage are both wizards. And you can name wizard and just totally blow them out of playing some sort of instant speed blocker or instant speed attacker. They can turn the corner and kill you after you've gotten pretty low off your dark confidants and whatnot. Um, keeping an eye out for scenarios where you might be able to kill an X4 by being able to lightning bolt oh, after sure. you name the card type is another pretty big one. Dryad. <laughs> yeah, Dryad, I guess, is now something we got to watch out for. Uh, Urza was another like okay target for it. Although, in the years of matchups, you're usually naming Thopter or Servo to cut them off of their size or their Sahilis. Um, outside of that, just having a death touch two-power blocker is pretty good. Sometimes in the mirror, you get to name their Lurgoyf and their Tarmogoyfs are 1-1 smaller, which actually does matter on occasion when you've got removal in your hand. Yeah, the death touch on Plague Engineer is brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's not the obvious part of the card but in creature matchups it doesn't really yeah. matter what your opponent's creep is playing just being able to like bring it down all their stuff gets smaller it like makes their attacks bad yep. they have to like attack into it and trade and then you like coligan's command it back or whatever yeah and, like <laughs> so in specifically the dread mirror you could name human or wizard to cut them out of dark confidence if you've seen that out of their deck um i say if you've seen it because recently i think dark confidant has been a two of or a zero of in yeah john decks so you want to be able to well with keep modern horizons was not very friendly to x ones oh, because that it was not plague engineer ren and six lava dart although yeah. there's not a lot of lava darts i do think red prowess is like probably well positioned right now because yes. it goes under the big mana decks and beats them up and definitely it's kind of gotten a critical mass of good prowess cards like lava dart that yep. it's like kind of uh more popular than burn perhaps yeah that i can see um, but in the Jun Mirror, you can name whatever card type their X1s are that you've seen. So in Dark Confidence instance, Human or Wizard, and then just trade up with a 4, 5, or 5, 6 Termogoyf most of the time. Seems good. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's also interesting that it's good against a lot of the like one card engine things like yes. Psy or Sahili or Young Pyromancer or um, Lingering Souls, like a lot of these cards because they make a ton of tokens of the same type yeah, yeah you can just blow them all up at once which is cool um even though like it's not a tribal deck you're still killing like four creatures for one yeah and then <laughs> also usually in those matchups you have some cards that are really bad so i guess when urza was legal your lightning bolts weren't great because both Sai and urza were x4s sorry when mox opal was legal not when urza decks were legal when mox opal decks were the deck to beat uh x4s make your lightning bolts very bad bring those out and then bring in plague engineers to stop your opponents from going super wide and making your life miserable or more miserable in that case yeah no i mean it's pretty good it's interesting that it like urza decks don't seem like this is a card you would want especially if they're not playing right um thopter foundry but yeah being able to like name human it hits sai and urza and then you can finish them off with bolts or you can name thopter to get rid of psi or servo or whatever that's yeah the card has a lot of interesting uses that are not uh as immediately obvious as my opponent's playing a tribal deck (laughs) (laughs) exactly so yeah we've talked a lot about jund uh and i briefly mentioned black green as like the field field of ruin jund uh what 
what do you think of like the other Jund variants, Abzan, Black Green Rock, Jund? I mean, Jund is kind of the one that's often been on top because of Coligan's Command and Bloodbraid Elf in yep. particular. But two elf cards. But I mean, with Stoneforge coming back into the meta, there was some yeah. talk of like, you know, uh, Abzan, Jund Blade, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> Abzan Blade. Um, so I think a good heuristic to go by for those other decks. They're all under the mid-range umbrella, but they all sort of specialize in different things. Uh, Jund, I guess you could take as sort of the middle line for the purposes of this heuristic, and that's like the de facto mid-range deck. Um, Abzan, I don't know n- how it is positioned now, as I haven't seen an Abzan deck in a very long time. Um, Why but do you think that is? I think it's mostly because the cards that were doing very good for it now aren't, are not. Siege Rhino is a little bit too clunky for... Abzan players to be casting on turn four, especially when you can just cast the Nerza on turn four, turn three sometimes. Um, Lingering Souls notoriously dies to Plague Engineer, as we talked about briefly. Yeah, I mean, I guess the times where we've seen Abzan be as popular, if not more popular than other black-green variants, is when Lingering Souls is good. Yes. So if Lingering Souls is good in the meta for whatever reason, that's that's what you put in your black green deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is what actually leads me to this heuristic. Abzan is the mid-range deck you want to play when you want to beat other mid-range decks because you get access to your path to exile in order to have like clean Tarmogoyf answers, your lingering souls to just chump your opponents, gigantic threats for days, um, and then Siege Rhino to sort of go over their top. Black green rock is the mid-range deck you want to play when you're a little bit worried about your life total if the meta is particularly fast. Your mana base is significantly less painful since you're playing less shock lands. You've got some more main lands. You have access to the full four blooming marshes. Um, they're playing field of ruins as well. And you, I think now, or at least as of late last year, they were still up on four assassins trophies. So it sort of just gives you clean outs to any giant threat. So black green's good in like a burn or a prowess or like aggro metagame. Yeah, I can see that. Um, that being said, there are some sort of pros and cons to playing both. Like if you play black green rock, you lose out on being able to cast lightning bolt, which is just as good in those matchups um, and can sort of represent a way to turn the corner on your aggro opponent. If you're able to sort of bolt them on and step untap and then swing in with your threats and there's this three damage that they didn't account for. Yeah, true. I mean, and you also are losing, uh, f- you know, the rest of your face burn in the form of Colgan's Command and yeah. Bloodbraid Elf, which... I think Bloodbraid Elf was also probably the other really big one. I know when Bloodbraid Elf first got unbanned, everybody, myself included, was pretty up on cramming your deck full of three drops in order to maximize your cascade potential and being able to cascade into as many Liliana of the Veils and Colgan's Commands as possible. And Maelstrom Pulses grew up to like two or three sometimes. Um, and being able to, or not being able to play that two for one game and just randomly blow out your opponent, I think is pretty big. I am of the belief that Bloodbraid Elf is somewhat a necessary evil. The floor for it can be really, really, really bad if you cast it and flip an Inquisition or a Thought Season, your opponent has no cards left in hand because you already did your, uh, yeah, your you deck's fatal, early game plan. Fatal push with no targets yeah, or something. Something yeah, like that. I mean, playing like that, a reactive so. deck with Bloodbraid Elf, a lot of times you're going to hit a reactive spell and. There's nothing to react to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then sometimes you just get the insane blood bread off into Liliana of the Veil when your opponent has like an Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger and Player or something crazy. Yeah. And you just get to totally blow them out. Um, I guess with that on the table, something to keep in mind when you're casting your blood bread off is how many fatal pushes you have left in your deck. Because if they have zero creatures left in play and you have another threat that you can cast instead of blood bread off, you might just want to hold it back. And that way you have less dead cascades. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like there's a lot of nuance to playing the deck. What about yes. like uh, blue Jund variants? Uh, moist Jund. Or moist Jund, Jund. Or, or Sultai. I mean, Spicy Sultai, often Grassy tense. Grixis. Yeah, you've got these names. <laughs> no, um, no I, mean, I mean, just like straight Sultai. Oh, straight Sultai. I mean, I think I, of that as kind of a Jund variant. Yeah, a lot yeah, of the I can time. see that. There are Sultai decks that aren't yes. like the Mystic Sanctuary Sultai decks or stuff like, like that. But I, I'm sweet. talking more like Black Green with like Snapcasters in it or Jason in it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I last played Modern Sultai before Jace got unbanned and I was on a Nissa Steward of Elements in the main deck in order to get your Dark Confidant to hit you for two and give you this insane like late game threat. Uh, now I think it's probably pretty decently positioned. 
you get access to um, your mystic sanctuaries if you want to regrow your like fatal pushes or some discard spells or dr uh, drown on the lock is another really big one you get to drown on the lock your opponent especially if you're managed to play thought scours and stuff of that sort however i do think if you're going to be playing a Sultai mid-range deck, so to speak, you're probably better off just playing four-color shadow. I think that deck is okay. better positioned. Yeah, so I'm I'm a big uh, Grixis shadow proponent on the cast. Alex likes Jund. He likes kind of the classic, but I and I don't know. I am four-color. This is I it. know. Well, I think this is the new hotness. <laughs> I think um, I was kind of saying that if I were to build a mid-range deck right now, I would prefer to build Grixis shadow um to jun what do you think about the comparisons between the shadow decks but particularly grixis being the most popular one versus jund uh as like the two big mid-range decks in the in the format i would say so you do there is some pretty big trade-off actually i've played a little bit of grixis i've played a handful of jun shadow and i've played a decent amount of four color shadow actually um the big trade-offs you get that's is, moist jund shadow yeah sorry moist jun shadow yeah, okay excuse me um the biggest trade-off you end up getting between Jund and Grixis for Shadow is how well you can sculpt your hand. Sometimes your hand in Jund Shadow is just awful. You haven't enabled Delirium yet, and your Traverse the Ulvenwald is sitting in your hand laughing at you, and you can't really do anything about it. Uh, whereas in Grixis Shadow, you can see your visions. You can Thought Scour away and sort of get there. Um, and the back end of that is sometimes your... Um, cantrips in Grixis Shadow don't really hit anything and you're just drawing through air and you keep cycling hitting street rates and bobbles and whatnot whereas in Jun Shadow once you get Delirium online you're you can tutor up whatever threat you need you can grab your Shadow because it's going to enable you to hold up Teamer Battle Rage you can grab your Tarmogoyf because it gets around your opponent's engineered explosives on one for example you can grab Street Wraith to just randomly pump your Shadow by two during combat um yeah there's some pretty big trade-offs four color shadow or moist jun shadow as you so elegantly called it uh does sort of meet some middle ground there i think once upon a time is one hell of a card it's insane between three copies of once upon a time and then your four baubles and your four street wraiths your deck is very very consistent and you can keep hands that you wouldn't normally keep in either of the other two shadow variants because you have once upon a time to smooth out your draws yeah i think once upon a time is one of the best cards in modern yes i can agree to that yeah and then in addition to that being able to tap your your nurturing peatlands that you're playing a four of in that variant of shadow repeatedly in order to grow your shadow you have access to both Teamer Battle Rage and Stubborn Denial, which I think are the really big draws from playing red and or blue in your shadow decks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Good. Yeah. Colgan's Command is also good because you're so threat light in shadow decks a lot of the time that like being able to rebuy your threats with like a flexible card that has other uses, I think is yeah, I can see can that. Be important. I think the metagame might have shifted into a space that's a little too fast for that to happen nowadays. I've seen most shadow lists that used to be able to play Coligan's command now aren't really just because it's fair. they have other cards that they want to cast instead i guess i guess what i'm getting at is like what what are the pros and cons of just playing straight jund over some sort of shadow deck right i mean there's like various shadow decks i think grixis being like the standard shadow yep. deck is kind of what i was using as a comparison okay. but like traditional jund with tarmogoyfs and bloodbraid elves and lilianas and the whole the whole thing we've been talking about yep. versus a different kind of thought sees deck like like um all right. shadow how yeah. would you say that they compare um i think they're all pretty meta dependent and i guess also play style dependent if you like something that's a little bit more proactive shadow is definitely up your alley you're able to go discard spell into a very aggressive threat and not just like a beefy threat like your tarmogoyf or something resilient like your n and six um however you do feel a little foolish when you queue up against burn and you like turn one cycle street wraith and fetch shock thought sees and you're down to 13 and your opponent goes turn one goblin guide it does feel, feel a little bad um however jen doesn't really have much of an easier time dealing with burn it's still fairly level um with jund you also don't have extremely polarizing matchups like i know for the shadow decks humans is like virtually unwinnable they Reflector Mage your Death Shadow, and the other one is stuck in your hand. They Reflector Mage the Grimag Angler, and it's stuck in your hand. You 
can meddling mage their fatal push and because they play a three or four of they just have no way of getting rid of your board you go super wide can block them for days and it's kind of a nightmare scenario yeah go wide decks i know are are good against shadow you yeah. you don't have as many value engines as jund right like yeah. you're not playing as many planeswalkers or trialist trackers or bobs or bloodbraid elves and so somebody who just goes wide and can like chump block your threats and yep. go around you is tough I think my favorite moment as a humans player was when I played against a shadow deck and post board went turn two Oriok champion and a turn three Oriok champion and they just conceded on the spot. Where's the plague engineer? Where's the plague engineer? engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think plague engineer may have actually made that matchup a lot more bearable now. Yeah. And I think in general humans is just kind of been a lot less popular since plague engineer got printed anyway, not to mention like the format was kind of degenerate. I I think maybe... (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know what the humans matchup against like the primeval titan decks is, but I can't imagine it's that great. So yeah, I, I think, I think humans is probably not super well, well positioned, but I can actually see it being decent just because you have that disruption backed by a clock. You're able to like turn two Thali. I guess meddling mage is really good against yeah. primeval titan in particular. Yes, you get to meddling mage them and then you just lord your team and yeah, I guess sometimes humans meddling mage coupled with beat them up is, <laughs> is that's what good. the deck's yeah. supposed to do. So yeah uh well thanks for coming on and talking about jund nice. uh, that's what i'm here for yeah viewers if you liked this kind of like specific deck tech type deck tech type of episode let us know let us know on social media comment on youtube comment on the podcast app of your choice let us know on facebook or twitter at vmmcast wanted to try something new with this episode since alex and ben were out of town and uh just chat about jund a deck that One we all know and love do. oh yeah <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming on. No worries. Happy to be here. Happy to help. And uh, thanks for watching slash listening, everyone. See you next time. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.